0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stutter Talk. My name is Christopher Constantino. I'll be your host for this episode. I'm a person who stutters, a speech-language pathologist, and uh, an assistant professor at Florida State University. I'm excited to be joined by Ward Jarvis, Ward is a performance coach on the PGA Tour, focusing mainly on the mental side of preparation and execution. Ward has coached multiple PGA Tour winners and major champions, applying a lot of what he's learned from his lifelong experience with stuttering to the world of high-stakes performance. In addition to coaching, Ward is also a full-time firefighter in Paducah, Kentucky. Thanks for coming on the show, Ward.
1: Hey Chris, it's uh great to be with you and I've really been looking forward to having this conversation.
0: Yeah, I I'm, I'm excited about it too. I've I've read some of your writing on your website and I've I've listened to you talk on other podcasts and you make some r- r- really insightful connections between your your work in golf and your work in stuttering. Um and so why don't why don't we just start by you sharing with the, the listeners some of your personal experiences with stuttering, and then we'll we'll start tying those into your work as a golf coach.
1: Great. Well, yeah, you know, I I kind of liken my story in uh, t- to what Steve Jobs told the graduating class of Stanford around two thousand uh, ten. I think uh, you know he made one of the big points of his talk was that in real time, sometimes it's really hard to connect the dots in our life, but looking back, sometimes we had the privilege of connect, actually connecting dots and kind of see how, it, seeing how everything fits together. But, you know, some of the significant dots in my life that kind of have brought me to where I am today are, you know, number, first and foremost, I, I grew up, um, you know, as, as a person who stutters, I've stuttered now for 45 years and, um, uh, and, um, you know, th- that was obviously one of the first uh, memories in my life was was uh, being a little different and, uh, you know, having to, you know, having a sense that I was going to have to navigate the world, you know, uh, with some challenges and um, some uniqueness. And yeah. it's was fortunate to have a great support system around me uh, in terms of my parents uh, who really kind of early kind of, you know, play, you know, saw I had an outgoing personality and, you know, kind of pushed me along to, to um, put myself out there and, uh, you know, say the lines in the school play. Um, and uh, along the way, you know, I was really fortunate to have some really good uh, early intervention in terms of speech therapy at school. You know, we can t- talk about some of the, you know, the, those formative experiences, you know, I remember there as well. Um which, um, you know, uh, so uh, a, a lot of those are, you know, some things I, I use in my coaching today, which I'm sure we'll get into. But so, you know, that, that, that was kind of the first dot. The second dot, you know, another one of the, my first memories, you know, uh, was uh, the first thing I remember being good at or having some success, especially in relation to my peers, was golf. Um, I grew up. You know, loving competitive golf, Um, couldn't wait to get to the golf course, started playing in tournaments around the age of 10. And, you know, from 10 to about 15, I can honestly say I don't have a negative memory about competing (laughs) in golf. Um, You know, had some success there um, early on, Uh, won a pretty big tournament when I was a freshman in uh, high school. And. and uh, against players who would go on to actually play professional golf, win state championships. I was pretty decent, you know, as a junior on a pretty good trajectory. And I'll never forget about a month after my biggest um, success in golf to that point, I got over a short putt and uh, it was in a high school match, you know, pretty inconsequential. It wasn't the state championship or anything, but you know, it was just kind of that perfect time in life where I'm sure my brain was developing and I was, you know, thinking about more about the future and, you know, what golf, golf was meaning something a little different to me than than it does when you're 10 years old and you're just hitting the ball around and chasing it. And I got over a putt and I, for the first time ever, I just had the, had this kind of a real extreme negative thought in terms of like, what would it be like if I missed this? It was, it was a tap in. It was that type of putt that, that a novice could make um, would make the majority of the time or a child who, you know, <laughs> does it play golf or, or whatever could really make. And I got over it and I made this real twitchy move um, and I actually missed it. And that, that led to, um, you know, a kind of a um, several years experiencing what we call in sports performance, the yips. Um, the yips is kind of a, temporary kind of loss of something that we've, um, a skill, fine motor skill that we've mastered and had success at. And then all of a sudden we start experiencing it differently. Uh, we start having a lot of involuntary movements. Um, and then the anxiety, you know, builds from there and, you know, it kind of becomes a cycle. Uh, baseball can pitchers I, experience it, golfers experience it. And. Can and,
0: I, can, uh, can I interrupt you for a moment? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I find so striking about when you sort of define the yips as as this periodic or temporary loss of an automatic ability, and then it 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 generally involves this sort of involuntary tension, leading to not be able to perform the way that you had in the past or that you want to, um, and what I find so striking about that and. I think one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk about you today is that's almost exactly how we define stuttering, right? As a yeah. involuntary loss of control when one goes to execute speech in the context of language um, after the person has already mastered speech and language, right? Mm-hmm. So a person who doesn't have speech can't stutter yet. Right. that's why you, uh, a person who, who doesn't have advanced language generally doesn't stutter that's why you see stuttering developing at the age that it does is it develops when the language system is advanced when the speech system is advanced when both those skills are mastered right it's not it's not an, an inability it's not like they don't have the skill yet they have the yeah, skill I mean, but it's involuntarily interrupted
1: the variability you know as we as we're in the stage of skill acquisition variability is adaptive, right? It's good. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're looking for a certain amount of failure in order to learn and make those fine tuning adjustments. But, um, yeah, the, the variability of the yips is, is, is definitely not something that's conducive to, to performance and, and everything. But, uh, yeah, you know, so I'd go on to, 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 um, try to piece my golf game back together. It was never really the competitor walked on my freshman year. It, um, in college, played a year in college, and I was pretty much done. So um, so this goes I, on for years. Yeah, yeah, it really did. I mean, I, I the, the severity, like I worked through it to where the severity was less and less. And like I said, I, I wasn't terrible. I was good enough to walk on a college team. Um, but but just the energy aspect of having to deal with it, you know, really, um, you know, hampered my ability to, to really maximize, you know, my talent. Um, so, you know, can you,
0: uh, can, can you unpack that a bit? Cause again, that sounds so much like stuttering, like yeah. we can often be, uh, navigating our social worlds in a seemingly okay way, right? Mm-hmm. We might get through school, we might have an active social life, but often the amount of mental and physical effort that takes can be extreme and, and, and and eventually takes a toll on us. So while we're, while we're performing maybe from the outside, looking in at a, at a reasonable level from the inside, it's, it takes a tremendous amount of effort. And, uh, so like, what was that like with golf and with the Yips? What, like, how how did that effort manifest?
1: Yeah. You know, um, you know, a question I ask a lot of players, you know, when they're struggling, they come to me and, you know, I ask them, you know, do you believe that you have the yips? And then then my next follow-up question is, why do you believe you do or don't have the yips? And hmm. more times than not, um, the element in, of anticipation is in play. For those who, you know, just putting bad, um, just maybe choking under pressure, you know, they're not really anticipating something crazy probably happening when they go to initiate movement. They're just making a movement and they're under pressure and they're getting a little quick or or whatever. That's not the same as a YIP. A YIP comes with, with majority of time, a certain amount of anticipation, you know, very kind of stuttering. And, you know, you know, I tell, you know, the players I work with, you know, if if they are in the middle, you know, if golf is their livelihood and they are in the middle of, of the YIPs, I mean, My goal for them is to, you know, hopefully get them to a point where they can go to the grocery and not be thinking about their yips or their putting, you know, and we as people who stutter, you know, all the unobservable, you know, ice (laughs) below the tip of the iceberg stuff, you know, all the decision making, uh, you know, I, I love what, you know, Hope Gerlach calls it a stuttering tax, you know, that that's what stuttering is to me is, is all the effort, all the energy involved in just getting through the world, right? Um, and so, you know, that, that, that's kind of what I meant by, you know, golf. The thing about golf is that it's not just one challenge. Like when you're helping someone with golf, it's not like you're working with an offensive lineman. And they basically have a very limited task in front of them. You know, be strong and block the person. Don't let the person in front of you get to the quarterback. The thing about golf is, is there's such a variety of challenge, and you know whether we break it down into the cognitive aspects, the emotional aspects, the behavioral aspects. You know, a, a lot around stuttering. You know, these things cluster together, and so you know, confidence is a tricky thing in golf because. You know, at the end of the day, I believe confidence is, you know, not we're confident when we have knowledge that our skills match our challenges. But you know, there's so many diverse challenges in golf and within the round of competing that you know no one's gonna be equally confident in every every area. So
0: Yeah, we often call that uh self-efficacy, right? The
1: absolutely uh, yeah. I mean believing
0: that you can perform a certain task.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I say self efficacy or self trust is kind of the ability to deal with that reality that our confidence isn't always going to be equal <laughs> right, across right. the board, especially in 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 a, in a, in a golf related performance setting. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of w- w- what I mean. Is just as far as like, there's a lot of moving parts, right? And uh, obviously, you know, to be a uh, professional in anything, a lot of different things have to have to come together. But uh, hey, it's, I, it's okay. I mean- Hey, it didn't work out for me. You know, I love my life, so.
0: I might be uh, stretching the analogy too far with this next question, but maybe not. With stuttering, there's often the experience of, in addition to the physical challenges with speaking, in addition to all that uh, anticipation, mental effort, physical effort under the surface, there's also the... um The performative aspect of trying to, as much as possible, pass as somebody who's not stuttering, right? Or, or to, um, hide your stutters from the listener. And I imagine that somebody with the yips probably doesn't want other people to know, right? Maybe they, that, that sort of is something that, or maybe they do as, because because it's an excuse, right? I don't know how yeah. how that plays out so socially in the golf world.
1: Well, it, it it definitely does. I mean, yips in the golf world typically kind of manifest in three areas. Um, I break it down kind of at full swing, kind of on tee shots. Um, you know, a lot of tension, involuntary tension with the driver can lead to some really – really gnarly misses we're talking about maybe 200 yards between your right miss and your left miss and so that's obviously very difficult to compete from that angle um then um putting obviously has probably been the most studied area because we're probably the stillest and you know neuroscientist you know people who study the brain like to analyze the brain and you really can't ever analyze the brain in a real-time setting that's kind of a separate subject but but then those around the green shots I would say is the area where you're you're most able to conceal it. Um in terms of like especially if it's really finely mown grass, you can put it instead of chip it. And uh you know, but and so you'll see a lot of people putting oh, wow. um when when they had the yips um around the greens. Um sometimes that's that like word well. switching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's <laughs> it's uh and so you know you you kind of um you know uh face those decisions that that tax you know, and then uh you know am i I probably really need to really need to chip this, hit it higher, you know, get some loft under it, but i'm gonna i'm gonna roll it because I believe you know something crazy would probably happen you know if i if I set up over a a chip shot so yeah, so it's definitely concealing but at the same time you're out there it's one of the unique things about golf uh, unique things about stuttering you know ultimately we can't avoid you know uh, sure. they're gonna put themselves the out there they're gonna see um, the missed shot be wi- willing to fail be willing to be embarrassed be willing to look silly um, piece right, so together we, from were, there.
0: we were on your journey you were you were in
1: college. Yeah. Yeah, I was in college, you know, I I actually studied, um, well, I studied business at the undergraduate level. And then I went on to graduate school and studied uh, religious history and philosophy, kind of had that philosophical bent. And, you know, I got through grad school kind of, and I kind of came to the realization that I really don't want to teach religion the rest of my life. Um, So it's kind of one of those dots, you know, in real time, I'm like, why did I do that? But (laughs) I ended up, I ended up, I knew some guys, you know, golf was kind of always my passion. And, uh, I looked at my life and I was still single, you know, no kids, footloose, fancy free, and had a little money in the bank. I'm like, well, I had some buddies who played professional golf. I said, I'll become a caddy. You know, that's what a cool way to be kind of behind the ropes involved in helping players. And, and so I actually did that, um, did, did that for a couple of years. And, uh, then I met my wife-to-be um, early in 2010 and uh, kind of came to the realization that, you know, I don't – this ain't going to be conducive to family life, so I kind of had to transition there. But the last guy I ever caddy for was a guy named Brendan Todd. And Brendan was an All-American at Georgia, um, had, had a lot of early success. And uh, he had just um, basically what we call we, – he lost his – Playing privileges on the PJ Tour and came down to triple basically like triple A baseball. Um, the, the corn Ferry tour is what's called in golf, and that's where I was caddying. and We met, and Brendan was in the first the bout of his first case with what he now calls the full swing yips. You know, three or four shots around would go off the property, hard place to compete. You know,
0: um, so when you say full swing, you're not talking about the intensity, you're talking about where the yips happened. They happened when he was doing his full swings.
1: Yes. Yes. His, his, uh, tee shot scenarios, um, you know, keeping the ball in play accuracy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I made a middle note of it, of course. And, you know, I only caddied one event for him. I went on to move back home. Kids were on, kids were on the way, all that type stuff. And, and um, I I became a firefighter, you know, after some trial and error and some other different careers and um, some stints in sales and stuff and uh, ended up uh, becoming a firefighter about 10 years ago. Um, and that's kind of where my kind of golf coaching kind of started because all us firefighters kind of have dual careers. Uh, we work 24 hours on 48 or 48 hours off and, uh, it's kind of a unique schedule. And, um, but early on in my firefighting career, you know, I was having, you know, stuttering kind of reared its head again. And, um, and I was really kind of, you know, thinking through like, okay, what are the situations in emergency management situations that I'm stuttering in? And what are the situations that I'm not? And it was super interesting because it wasn't like the high intensity, um, emergency aspects of the job where I had any stuttering issues, you know, and when I say stuttering, stuttering for me, my experience is mainly blocking. I don't bounce a whole lot. Um, I would prefer to bounce, but, but I, I block. And so it was kind of the non-emergency radio traffic, you know, going back to the telephone, you know, it's just like, if you don't know who's on the other end, it's very difficult. It can be very difficult to speak, and um, and so when I started like getting in positions where I was like talking a little more on the radio and just like calling in trucks, like checking radio radios in the morning, I was having these massive speech blocks, and I came to the realization that you know I never really stuttered stuttering. You know I had kind of an academic background, but I never applied myself just to just to looking into what's going on, you know, in the brain, what's going on, just you know, um, like what's causing it in the moment and what's, what's uh, helping it and all that type stuff. And so I really kind of did a deep dive into, you know, your world, Chris, you know, of stuttering research and, you know, um, was just amazed and blown away because the whole time I'm, you know, listening to guys like you and, and, um, and your colleagues, you know, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about golf the whole time and like how that how the majority of the information in your world Chris like would relate to like a golf setting where there's there it's time related performance pressure right and so so I started thinking back to my experience with the yips and how it defied a certain effort you couldn't like decide your way out of it you couldn't even like really try your way out of it you know so it kind of uh, laughed at effort sometimes and so you really had to be strategic and come at it and that's where I kind of formulated my my system for golf and ended up sharing it eight years later with Brendan Todd who had gone on to win on tour and then he kind of hit another bout of the full swing yips and you know he was one week away from opening up a pizza franchise and quitting Hmm. golf and I called him up and never expected him to take my call but he did, and you know, uh, I introduced him t- to this fascinating world of stuttering, and you know, um, and it just freed him up, and he got back out on tour, and almost won three events in a row, and you know, it's kind of a staple on the PGA Tour now, which has uh, really helped propel my golf career more or less. <laughs>
0: That's 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 such a cool uh, like full circle story. Um, I one thing that really stands out to me as as you describe your stuttering and how it helped you with golf coaching is um, you know especially on Stutter Talk we often talk about stuttering. Uh, as a gift in some way, right? That, that we gain experiences from stuttering that, that we would have missed out on had, had we not stuttered. And in your case, it's so obvious, right? That like you having this experience of temporarily and involuntarily losing control of your speaking mechanism, your mouth, your tongue, your lips, your throat, uh, taught you about um, how to manage that and the parallels to athletes, right? Uh, golfers experiencing not the same type of loss of control, but, but something analogous actually proved beneficial and uh, like directly gave you a marketable skill set.
1: Yeah, I mean... Obviously we do gain a lot from stuttering as you know as you talk about and I you know I tell people straight up you know I wouldn't be working with some of the best golfers in the world around the country and around the world if if I didn't stutter if I didn't have this this um this lifelong experience you know and um you know where 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 it took me Right. And sure. the angles that I come at the world and, you know, just forces us to, you know, by necessity, we as people who stutter have to figure things out that other people don't. And, you know, yeah, I mean, golf is, like I said, there's always something to figure out, you know, <laughs> um you know, you break in the top 50 in the world and then you're trying to stay in the top 50 in the world. You know, you get to number one in the world and then you're trying to stay there, you know, get back and, you know, you're trying to, play like you did when you first came out on tour it's just it's always something to figure out and so that definitely you know has um translated and you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be where i am today you know if it wasn't for stuttering now you know there's still a lot of conflict in my life over it and um you know we you know you and i've talked kind of about the firefighting angle and you know, sometimes I find myself more in that setting. Kind of, you know, would I take a magic pill to make it go <laughs> away? <sighs> Probably, but but then I'm kind of pulled because I've got, you know, I've got this other kind of dual career where, um, sure, where you know I wouldn't have it if if it wasn't for the experience. And so it can be. Complicated. It's always kind of a double edged sword, right?
0: Yeah. Tell us about you were, when you were talking about your your therapy. You mentioned yeah. um, things that were helpful and that eventually uh, informed, actually, your work with the YIPS. Yeah. Can, 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 can you tell us about some of those things?
1: Yeah. So in performance coaching circles, you know, we had this concept, and I'm sure you're familiar with it more or less, it's called deep practice. It's kind mm-hmm. of practicing, preparing kind of at the margins of your ability. Um, in order to more or less expand out your comfort zone, becoming more comfortable in naturally uncomfortable settings. And I do a lot of this, but the, the funny thing is back in 1987, you know, when I was 10 years old, every, every Tuesday, I think every once, once a week, my speech therapist and I, we go, go in this little room with, you know, with this dial up phone, you know, back, back in the eighties and, and, uh, she would have me call Dillard's department stores or just local department stores and ask for different products. So, so, you know, I, I would call Dillard's and say, do you have any red sweaters today? You know, and that would be an opportunity for me to get some real world application of the things we were working on in terms of strategies for, for my stuttering and, and, uh, And, you know, obviously she worked with my personality a lot. It wasn't, she knew it wasn't going to traumatize me. It wasn't very comfortable at times, but, but looking back, you know, it really kind of put me in that approach mindset versus avoidance. And, and, uh, you know, I look back and, you know, she was, I call her kind of my first performance coach, right. Helping me kind of, uh, reach my goals and work through challenges on on the way to, you know, g- g- getting those necessary wins in my life. So, yeah, that that, that was my first kind of uh, baptism in performance coaching, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's still such a big part of um, stuttering therapy. I do very similar stuff with my clients. As you said that, I actually, I thought of this. I had a client recently who, um, he was a high, middle school, going into high school, kid and he was really into working out and so we used to call like sporting goods stores and see like if they had any sales on barbells or dumbbells or stuff like that and we would call local gyms and you know get what their rates were and I would I would do the calls with him so like I would do one first and he would do one and we Mm -hmm. might make each other stutter by like holding up a finger and I have to stutter for as long as he's holding the finger up. And then he has to stutter for as long as I'm holding the finger up. And, um, I was smiling cause he will not let me live down that. Uh, cause like our rule was like, no matter where the conversation goes, don't hang up. Right. Even if it gets awkward, you know, you can always, you can always end the conversation by saying, actually, I'm just doing this for stuttering therapy. I'm not actually mm-hmm. like, if they're trying to sell you something, right. Like, uh, the rule is like no hanging up. Um, and one time I hung up, right. The conversation had gone someplace and like, I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. And I just hung up and he never hung up and he was so proud of himself that he beat me. Right. It was like a competition Mm -hmm. for him. (laughs) Like, can I, can I be a better stutter than Dr. Constantino? And, um, to this day, every, every therapy session, like remember that time? (laughs) <laughs> remember that time that you couldn't handle the heat.
1: Um, and so it's, it's,
0: it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. You know, um, you know, one of the challenges is just, you know, working with stutters or working with, you know, studying is kind of inducing it, you know, because not everyone, you know, it's right. so variable. Right. And so it's like, you know, I can have a person with the yips so I get them in a practice setting and, you know, 99.9% of the time they're just, not yipping, you know? And so <laughs> right, right. I've always, I've kind of developed the outlook like, look, we need to get you to yip, you know, more or less in a practice scenario so we can kind of experience it. And it doesn't do us any good, you know, to, to not, um, to not yip. And I've even, you know, that's one challenge, you know, working with golfers is when they get the yips that, you know, practice can, they can really develop some beliefs around practice where, doesn't matter. You know, the tournament starts on Thursday. It doesn't matter what I do. And so that kind of, kind of that futility, you kind of set in and you can't really see practice as profitable in any way. And so that, that's, that's problematic, right? Um, You know, you got to find a way to, to believe in, you know, your preparation that it's going to, going to impact somewhat you know how you feel in the real performance environment and that that you know there there's not an easy answer there you know and uh a lot of trial and error and that's kind of where you know the art the artful side of therapy or, or or coaching comes into play
0: right you're you're absolutely right the reason we we do the phone calls is to increase the pressure right to to make stuttering more likely to happen to to practice sort of on the edges of our competence. How do you do that with a golfer, right? Like how do you help them yeah. to, uh, I guess, how do you induce yips? How do you, how do you help them yeah. to get into that headspace where they're, where they're uncomfortable?
1: Well, I mean, I, I have some performance games where we'll kind of score like a real, real, um, golf setting, you know, birdies, pars, bogeys. And, and, um, I, a lot of times I will um, kind of play the role of their inner voice and I will kind of verbalize thoughts that, you know, you know if I've got, you know, uh, and, even, and I do this a lot, you know, even, you know, majority of my players that I work with don't have the yips. So, you know, if I've got a high schooler who's starting to get nervous because they got the college coaches looking at them, you know, I'll verbalize kind of what, you know, potential thoughts that that coach is having about them and as they go through their process and so they can kind of like just get comfortable with it. Yeah. They, he's probably thinking about you, you know, but you want them to be thinking about you. Right. And so, so I'll do a lot of that verbalization. Um, I'll also like find like, like if I've got a guy struggling with chipping, like around the green, like we, we, you know, we'll go to, we'll chip in an area where where there's a lot of people around. So if the, if the chipping green is like, kind of away from the crowds, I'll have them chip on the putting green that might be surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people. Um, You know, I'll have them chip like really short distances because there's a lot of distance control, a lot of finesse touch issues. um, You know, with you got to apply the enough force, but not too much force. So, you know, that they they don't want to be chipping their, you know, having hit a little 10 yard chip and Tiger Woods is 13 yards away and hitting a, Sc- sculling one into, into tiger's shin, you know, that, that, th- they <laughs> don't want that pressure. So, you know, you got to get cre- creative, but, but those little scenarios, figuring out, okay, what their challenge is, and then really designing those, uh, practice scenarios is kind of where I do, do a lot of my work.
0: Yeah. That's almost like role-playing, right? Like you're, yeah. like you're, uh- yeah. Creating a situation and and seeing how yeah. to handle it.
1: You know, w- it. one of my players, he's a former major champ champion. Um, you know, has had the putting yips so bad, like on a little, two, you know, two foot putts, and his is kind of like a block. Like he cannot initiate movement. Like the stop signals in the brain are so strong in those moments that he just cannot move the putter back. And so, you know, you tell him, "Well, just re- react your target." It's meaningless, right? And so. So, you know, a lot of times when I, and he's got, you know, you can go to YouTube and, you know, look up yips and I'm not going to name them, but, you know, he's on there. And <laughs> he had one, his most infamous yip was a putt for a um, a round of a 60, okay, par 72, a 60. If you break 60 in golf, like you're like in a club of like less than five people in the history, and um, this player actually had a 12 foot putt for 59. So he made some putts during that round. It was going well, but he missed the putt for 59. The putt went uh, about less than two feet, and he had his first kind of yip of the day. And it so he ended up shooting 61. He missed it. About about did not make contact with the ball. It was so it was so bad. And so when we were doing this practice game early when we were working together. You know, I said, hey, man, I said, have you ever had a putt for a 60? Because, you know, most <laughs> players are asking, you know, you ever had a putt for a 59, right? But but his came on, a putt for a 60, and he just laughed. He knew exactly what I was doing. You know, kind of – you can't just – you know, that's the thing about memories and stuff, you know, right? We can't just – telling a player just to move on is like – is not dealing with the memory piece of movement and the emotional and how that impacts how he moves. So I'm really big on – you know, on, uh, working through memories, you know, bringing them to the surface, trying to reshape them, trying to create new ones in practice, uh, because, you know, the brain is going to draw on past memories in order to coordinate, you know, a movement in the present time. So.
0: Right. Right. Those are, those are part of the context from which they're putting now, but also if they could move on, I'm certain that they would, right? Like, it's not like they're, oh, and I never thought to just <laughs> move on from that, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. But that kind of <laughs> comes back to the the decision, right? I mean, you can't, if you got stuttering anticipation or yip anticipation, you can't just cognitively make it go away.
0: Sure. that, you, that, you, that You've got to
1: kind of have experiences that, you know, convince the brain that, that you you can get through it and it doesn't, something crazy won't happen, you know? And so obviously there are a lot of, you know, cognitive pieces to making that happen, right? And st- strategic pieces. But, you know, yeah, I mean, we, if we could just decide it away, like I'm going to wake up at four o'clock this morning and I'm not going to think about the radio check. I mean, that, that would be great. I wish, I wish it was work like <laughs> that, but it just doesn't. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean that. That reminds me of something you said earlier that I thought was a very elegant, eloquent way of putting it. You said that uh, both stuttering and the yips resist a type of effort; like you can't try your way out of them. Right? There's this uh, almost perennial issue in stuttering where the person gets into the habit of using effort and conscious control to try to override these moments of loss of control and inevitably the effort they're putting into that to the system is actually making them making things worse right like they're getting more and more tense more and more tense their blocks are getting longer and longer they're fighting and struggling more and more and i think the bulk of speech therapy is how do you reverse that process, right? How do you teach the, how do, how do you try not to try, right? How do you teach the person to uh, let go of control in the moments in which they want to exert the most? And um, it seems like that you're almost trying to teach your golfers a, like a very similar skill.
1: Absolutely. You know, I mean, studies have have shown that, you know, uh, what we call self-focus during performance or self-consciousness during performance, you know, actually hinders, um, you know, our motor outputs. Right. Right. Um, And, you know, there's a misnomer, you know, um, you know, with the concept of like flow or zone states that it's this absence of consciousness. Like we just black out. Uh, some people may describe it like that, but, but basically what they're, they're referring to is not an absence of consciousness. Like we're conscious of something. It's just not, we're temporarily not conscious of ourself. Exactly. And, you know, I say, you know, when we think about our selfhood, it's more, it's kind of our self is kind of like a collection of our, our abilities, our talents, and that kind of directs our goals and, you know, where we're wanting to go in life. And then our experiences kind of, you know, either bring us closer to those that we feel or, or further away. And that's, you know, kind of triggering emotions and all that type stuff. But um, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's um, golf's tricky because it's, it's not, you know, you're not a hitter kind of responding to a moving target. It's like what I say, it's starting from scratch, a lot like speech, <laughs> you know, it's starting from scratch every Every shot is a starting from scratch. It's its own pie that you're baking in, you know, putting the ingredients into and speech is a lot like that. Um, you know, um, it's a different motor pattern. Like when, when a center fielder is coming up with a ball on the run and throwing to home versus the pitcher just starting from scratch on the mound or a tennis serve, you know, or bowling, you know, all that type stuff. And so, um, Yeah, you do have to do a lot of work around, you know, okay, uh, what do we want to be conscious of? You know, I I, I try to talk a lot about perception of control. What are the points in our process that that we have some more perception of control around? You know, everyone's got a perception of control around something, right? Most people have it around speech. You know, we as people who stutter don't or have a, you know, a variable experience there. So it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of elements of human nature in play. You know, we have, as human beings, we have the ability to learn skills and, and very consciously and we master them. And then the how to kind of goes underground. And then, then we as humans have the ability to project pain and predict pain and painful experiences and, you know, do behaviors in light of that. And, and, when you get like a skill like golf, a lot of times, you know, those two good elements in and of themselves combined are not good. Right. Does that make sense? And yeah, so, yeah. what I, I use the word temporary a lot because it's like you want to kind of acknowledge that, you know, this is not really a psychological like abnormality as much as it is just good elements of hum- human nature just kind of conflicting at the wrong time. So if you kind of reverse engineering is like, okay, I'm glad I can do things automatically. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I can predict pain to a certain degree, but you know, it's, but but you just got to kind of, you know, uh, more or less, you know, birds are flying around and you got to help them fl- fly in the right direction. Right. So,
0: right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a nice way of thinking about it is these are skills you need to be human. Uh, but they're like they're they're combining in ways that we would prefer they didn't.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're combining in some ways that probably produce some some abnormal, you know, <laughs> neural experiences, I'd right. say, you know.
0: This this distinction you made between reacting to something versus starting from scratch. How much do you think that plays into like moving into your firefighting your your experience on the radio where i i imagine during an emergency situation your your focus is actually on the emergency right it's not on you mm-hmm. and so you're much more able to enter into a it might not be exactly a flow state but a state in which your attention is not self directed whereas non emergency situations you're initiating maybe the conversations you're not really reacting to anything. It's just silent. And so it's, it's much more, uh, you're much more able to get into, uh, like a self-conscious state.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it, 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 um, revolves a lot around our, our attentional like resources, our attention, like, I know like in an emergency situation, most of the time, my attention is so wrapped up in what's going on that just, you know, our minds are finite at the end of the day. And, you know, our attention is pretty expansive, but it's got its limits, right? (laughs) And studies have shown that. And so that actually benefits me. It helps me, um, gives me that confidence that, hey, I'm going to have so much going on that even if I do stutter, and I, I, I will like th- that. Those are the times when I will bounce a little more. But but I'm communicating, right? I'm not really. I don't feel like I'm endangering the scene or in in uh, impeding the the, right. the scene. You know. Whereas, you know, I think it would be very hard for me to be a firefighter if I thought that that I was going to block like in a mayday situation. Like we even do, obviously we do a lot of search and rescue type training and mayday training. And I've never, never blocked on the, on the radio when I'm like even training, like in a mayday, you know? And so it's the adrenaline factor. I mean, you know, God, you know, there's a Tony Robbins clip where he's like claiming to cure this guy of stuttering, you know, and I'm, I'm you probably with seen that it clip. and he gets this poor guy up there and he's like, yell like a warrior. And so the guys up there just, just yelling basically his speech. I don't know if he's preaching or what, whatever, but it's like, Tony, you're not curing him a speech. You're just making him, you know, sound weird, but you know, my, so a lot of, like, I've showed a lot of my, um, uh, my fellow firefighters that, and I'm just like, they just said, yell like a warrior when you, when you do your radio checks. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, in a fire scene, you know, like you're, you're yelling, you're yelling as it is just cause, you know, you got all your gear on and your mask. And so it's like, it's it's helpful for me but uh yeah sometimes i'm like okay do i want the weirdness of yelling like a warrior or, or blocking you know
0: but <laughs> well, there's a we often call that the the novel speaking effect right is that whenever you change how you speak like if you were to fake an accent or something often we we <laughs> we, we we get pretty fluent temp- temporarily uh but yeah yeah it's more like a parlor trick than a, and that's gotta
1: be a brain thing at the end of the day. Right. I mean, because it's, you know, golfers face it. It's like you get one swing thought that, that works for three months. And then, then one day it doesn't work the way it did. I mean, Jordan speed talks a lot about this, you know, and in my prime, you know, I had three or four swing thoughts. I revolved around and, and they worked and, you know, I hit my slump and, can't find myself being able to return to that past version of myself using those same methods, you know, in the speech world, you know, auditory feedback is a lot like that. I know I had some experience, you know, it does help a lot up front because it is kind of a novel experience from the brain. It can kind of jumpstart the brain in in a way, but you can't expect it to work because the brain's going to grow used to it. And it goes kind of back into its natural kind of default uh, modes of operation. Yeah. um,
0: what, What I'm reminded of sort of in the sports world is I used to compete in powerlifting and powerlifting and golf are very different, obviously, but they're similar in that you're initiating a movement from scratch. And when you're competing, it's always high pressure because you're, you're lifting the maximum amount you can lift for, for one repetition. And typically, to, to make sure your movement is as precise as, as you can make it, because it's all about like staying in your groove, you're typically re- rehearsing a k- 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 cue in your head. So mm-hmm. you, you'll you pick a, usually like one or two cues because you can't hold too, too many at once. And so for squatting, it might be like knees out or drill your feet into the floor or keep my hips back or something but inevitably that cue stops working, right? And what you realize is when you start in the sport, you think like, eventually I'll transcend cues. Like I'll just have my movement so dialed in, I won't need to be thinking about this anymore. I can just concentrate on the effort I'm putting into the lift, but that's not how it actually works. You just go from cue to cue to cue to cue, right? And if, if somebody's videotaping you, Your lift, your movement is actually not changing very much. From the outside looking in, your squat looks like it's always looked. It might change somewhat, but the experience on the inside is like thinking about that is no longer working. Let me put my focus elsewhere. And you're, like you're saying, like you were talking about a person, like in their in their full swing, they might be thinking about three things that have been working for them, but then they stop working. And then they have to think about something else and they have to think about something else. And it's sort of like, this. at least in powerlifting, it felt like this never ending, um, journey of putting my attention somewhere on my body to make sure my body performed the way I wanted it to perform. But inevitably that focal point was going to break. And it wasn't that all of a sudden I'm a bad powerlifter. It's just that, okay, where is it breaking? what part of my body is moving how i don't want it to move how do i come up with another cue
1: yeah i mean that's a that's a it's a great analogy and you know the the physicality of powerlifting is is ironically pretty closely related to a lot of the modern day golf in terms of creating power from out of the ground sure and all that yeah yeah that yeah you know we don't get away from cues uh we always had them sometimes we're more conscious of them than others but you know i see a lot in the golf world you know you'll have you'll have um former like you know a lot of players like get in their you know early 40s and you know they kind of get in that no man's land as we call it and you know they've had careers where they really haven't had to put a lot of conscious thought into their golf game and uh they just swing a certain way and it, you know, they, they look at a target, hit ball to target and it goes great until it doesn't, you know, and that for, for, for this or that reason. Right. And it's a very um, difficult mental experience for, I see a lot of these guys and gals like going through to have to, you know, a lot of them try to just kind of return to their old version of themselves. And you really can't do that. Right. You, you've got to kind of, understand that, Hey, you know, whether i have known or not, I've always had cues and I've got to figure out what cues I need as a 42 year old, you know, because sure. they're going to be different former than number they were one in the world ago. or former, like, you know, um, wildly recognized golfer in the world. Right. And, you know, a lot of them resist that, you know, and, uh, that's where a lot of coaches I think are kind of fail because they don't really, they're always trying to take them back to, to to past versions of themselves. And they're just, they're not there mentally, you know, they're not there contextually. And, um, but, but yeah, I mean, those cues that you talk about too, are, are their perceptions of control, right? I mean, you might have like, you know, you may go get a golf lesson and he gives you five or six potential cues. And then I think you need to go through the process or you as a power lifter, you might get five, you know, you might get five to 10 potential cues that you can potentially use and experiment with. Right. But you've got to kind of go through a process of kind of sifting through those and say, okay, this cue, I think I can do under pressure a little more than this cue and and kind of, you know, rank those kind of in order. And then those kind of, you know, through that kind of process, you kind of develop, okay, this is going to be my routine. This is going to be my process, you know, for, for this event. Um, Because like you're saying, I do that a lot of stuttering, you know, but it's just structuring your attention and, and where it's going to move at certain times. Right. Uh, I think that that's big because we, as stutters, you know, we need to be able to move our attention and kind of, but it's one thing to be in an unwanted moment and have the sense that you need to, you don't want to be there, but you've got to have some clarity as where you're going or where you need to go and how you're going to get there to a certain degree, you know? And uh you know, as stutters, we don't get there perfectly as golfers, you know <laughs> rare, rarely do we get there perfectly, and that's, that's kind of the that's kind of the experience, right?
0: How has these experiences, both stuttering and uh, coaching golf, playing golf, um, informed how you handle your stuttering as a firefighter?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of my golf kind of comes out of, I guess, more or less experiments I've done personally as a firefighter. Like,
0: okay, um, you so know, maybe it's the I other have, way around.
1: I have, yeah, it's kind of the other way around. Like, for example, I like I'll do a drill where I do a drill, but sometimes, like, stirring is bad. I just do an experiment. Like, I'm really, I do a lot of self-disclosure, so I talk about it a lot with the guy. You know, you're living with with guys and gals for 24 hours at a time. So you get pretty close. And uh, one experiment I did was, okay, I want, I'm want i going to close my eyes. All I've got to say is engine five radio check, and I want you to randomly key up the radio. And I'm going to say it. I'm just going to start saying it like 10 times, and I'm going to pause between each time. And uh, you're going to key it up at a certain point. I'm not going to know. And obviously I never stutter doing that. I never, never right. stutter. It's just my experience. Um, and, uh, but as a golfer, you, you know, that we, I, we do this drill where you, you get up, have a player get over a golf shot and you randomly either remove the ball before impact or you don't. So they will be midway down and I'll take my finger and I'll roll the ball away or I won't. I call it kind of a exercise around potential meaningful outcomes, PMOs, I call them. Um, when the brain, you kind of trick the brain so it doesn't know if there's going to be a potential meaningful outcome or not. And you, you usually it allows flow if it, if it doesn't know, but, you know, if you've got like a situation with a potential meaningful outcome and you've attached a lot of meaning and stuff, you know, it's, it can be very difficult, but that's kind of an exercise that more or less I took from my, from the stuttering, uh, firefighter, you know, world into, into golf. Um. <laughs> And that's, that's yeah, really so, so that's neat. That's been the majority of my experience there. Look,
0: I I I imagine it's helpful. You seem like you're very open about it. I imagine something I always tell my clients is, um, you want as many people around you to expect you to stutter as possible. Right? If you're trying to meet others' expectation of fluency then your anticipation and anxiety around stuttering is going to to be that much worse. But if people expect you to stutter, then when you stutter, you're not violating anything, right? You're not doing anything wrong. You're just speaking how you speak. And it sounds like by being open about not only the fact that your speech is disfluent sometimes, but that it can be hard, Right that like it's something you're you're working on and and trying to trying to get more confident in trying to build that self efficacy that they not only expect occasional stutters but they also are then able to be recruited to do things like you just described to to sort of be on your team rather than against you,
1: yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been really fortunate in the past 10 years and the majority of my experiences have been positive, you know, with coworkers and, uh, you know, I'll, I, another thing I'll do is sometimes I'll have them, I say, stare at me, stare at me, <laughs> you know, when I'm talking and you can tell, like, I'm going to stutter, like, just stare at me, eyeball to eyeball. And that, you know, that, that thinking about them looking at me, you know, that, that helps, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very tricky, man. It's, it's, you know, a lot of times, you know, failure in the fire service usually means endangering others and, you know, I never want to endanger anyone. And, you know, and, you know, that, that can be hard in terms of just like thinking through, you know, situations at times, like ultimately I don't believe I'm going to endanger anyone, but just kind of the weight of that, you know, can can be difficult to to deal with at times, right? Um, sure. But you know, and you'll get comments. I mean, you know, you you'll get those comments that kind of stick with you, and it's just people just don't know, right? It's like, you know, one time if I sometimes if I do have a good radio, you know, session, then I'll get comments like, "Oh, you sounded real professional today." And it's like, you know, it's a very command presence kind of environment. Like leadership in the fire department, you know, we talk a lot. Like, you need a command presence. Not only do you need to say something, you need to say it in a particular way. And we as people are stuttering just like a lot of times it's all we can do just to say something, much less say it in a particular way, right? And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's tricky. It's tricky. It's like, you know. And, you know, the person who said that had no clue that it was hurtful, you know, <laughs> but, but it is, it kind of, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I'm no less professional than, than, than you are. Right. It's just, you know, again, it's like what people expect, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, I, there there's the, 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 the traditional, Uh, sports psychology book for golf is called golf is not a game of perfect, but Mm. you get the only situation uh, from eight feet and in, okay. On the best players in the world, make 50, 50. That's kind of the break point between over eight feet. Your expectations kind of change, but under eight feet, there's a lot of expectations to more or less be perfect in terms of a performance standpoint. You either make or you don't. And, a lot of stuttering is like that it it is really a game of perfect right it's either we stutter or we don't from from people's expectations and you know there's a lot of mental work that needs to go on around that to just uh you know keep ourselves grounded keep ourselves focused on the right things because it's like you know sometimes it's it's uh you know, if 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 we look for progress in the wrong places, you know, we can really miss the progress that that we are making.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of um, something I I I talk about in some r- recent papers is about trying to switch that. Um, how we're judging whether our 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 stutter was successful not based on whether or not it occurred but a, but based on when it occurred how did we react to it did we react to it in what i call a stutterphilic way like did we react to it in, a, in in a way that moved towards it embraced it allowed it to happen or did we react to it in what i call a stutterphobic way in which we uh, we tensed up, tried tried to stop it, tried tried to hide it, tried to avoid it, and because we don't have we don't necessarily control over if we stutter, right? That that's that's sort of um, allowing our notion of success to be a game of chance. But what we do have control over, at least somewhat, how we react to that moment. Do we react in a way that we want to? Did we? Did we uh, stutter in a way that showed that you know it, we're, we're okay with it, that it's okay, and that we yeah. can handle this, or did we stutter in a way that was like, "I hate this, and I don't want this to happen"?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in golf, we call it a post-shot process. You know, okay. you know, obviously, stuttering has a before, during, and after moments, and the after moments are key, right? I mean because ultimately how we handle the after moments is going to determine the memories that we bring the next time, you know, right? how we handle the next stutter. Yeah. And so, um, and, and how the brain handles it. Right. And so, um, you know, having kind of a strategic post shot process, you know, for stuttering is very, is very, um, crucial in terms of, you know, I, for lack of a better words, the, the progress we make. Right. Um, um, and I think that comes back, you know, to, again, to, 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 you know, the brains coordinating our movements through past memories of past experiences and how we process that and the motions we attach to it and, and all that, all that type of stuff. That's why, you know, you know, all those just bedrock skills, um, you know, um, are so, are so, uh, relevant, you know, we'll, 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 we'll never n- not need them as, you know, as, as people who stutter, but, and, and, you know, but yeah, it is just, uh, you know, it's so akin to performance at the end of the day, right? It's, it's uh time related pressure. It's, uh, um, d- dealing with failure, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. uh, just uh, managing the, it's not just the behavior, you know, as we say, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole uh, life experience that, that uh, goes with it. And, you know, I mean, there's been talks about, you know, I, I know kind of in your world, just how, how, how should stuttering be defined? You know, is it from the perspective of the observer or from the perspective of those who stutter? And, you know, I think, we as people who stutter have to advocate for a definition of stuttering that revolves around our experience of stuttering.
0: Right. And I, especially because as, as with the Yips, so much of the experience is unobservable, right? Like it's, yes. it's, it's so internal. And I'm not just talking about the psychological components, the, the anticipation, the, the anxiety, but also that, experience of being stuck, right? The, the experience of losing control of your articulators is not an observable experience, right? I could see you stutter and have no idea why, have no idea why you produced the sounds that you produced. It might be that um, you, the experience you had internally was that you forgot the word you were trying to say, it might be that the experience you had internally was that, uh, (laughs) right. You guess you got stuck, you, you mispronounced it. And so you corrected it, or it might be the experience you had internally was that you were fighting with a stuck sound as in a stuck, Yeah. Right. And those could all produce the same type of disfluency, but they're experienced very differently.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the funniest, uh, probably the most intense stuttering experiences I've had as a firefighter was in the frozen food section of Walmart. It was <laughs> the day before my two and a half week vacation slot. So I was tired. I was ready for a break from my job. And um, basically the cars were packed, the kids were ready and we, we were going to Florida. All I had to do is get, get through one more shift. And I uh, freaking keyed up my emergency button in the on accident in in Walmart getting some frozen food for the meal that night. And they came on that basically asking me if I was ten four, and I just had one of those moments like I'm going to key up. And if it takes me two minutes to get anything out, that's what it's going to be right now. And I keyed right. up and it took me what felt like an eternity. And it probably was at least over 10 seconds before any, before 10 came out. But yeah, it's like, you know, th- th- they experienced that, but that they had no idea that it was my last day before vacation and how I processed things and I was tired. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's uh stuttering puts us in some really, uh, really kind of ridiculously interesting situations.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Ward, before we let you go, um, I've talked to a number of people who stutter who are in your line of work, who who are firefighters uh, EMS paramedic professionals. And often they're having a hard time. It's, it's, it's difficult. Um, they're having a hard time speaking in work situations and, uh, they're, they're looking for encouragement or help. And you've, you've been doing this for a number of years, right? You're, you're 10 years in, um, and so I'm just wondering if you have, uh, any, um, words of, of, uh, one encouragement, but also, you know, what, what, what helped you and, uh, what would you say to those folks?
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a day and age where we have great access to information and community, you know, like we didn't haven't had in the past. So, you know, drawing on other people I think is important. Um, I think, um, you know, a certain level of self-disclosure has been helpful for me. You know, I, I know that can be, um, you know, th- there are no easy answers, right? In terms of like how exactly some of these things work, but, um, you know, just being clear, you know, with, with your coworkers and, And uh, administration just on kind of what the experience means to you, like at times, you know, I I know when I was interviewed, you know, I said, look, you know, describe like stuttering is not like this uh, anxiety issue. I mean, obviously I have anxiety just like a lot of other human beings, but it's not caused by that. And, um, you know, just just kind of educating people on what it is as well as what it's not um I think goes a long way. Um and um but yeah there there are definitely gonna be challenges. There's definitely gonna be difficult situations where, where there aren't unfortunately there aren't easy answers. Um but you know I mean I've got a good buddy who's a police officer here in town and he has Tourette's very severely you know and uh you know um uh, we we uh I've actually done some training together, and it's been—we've had some interesting, and helpful conversations for each other, and um, you know, swapping war stories and helps, <laughs> right? And you know, yeah. this, but it's usually, you know, just getting very clear on what are the situations, you know, that that are most challenging, and and how can you strategize around them, you know. Um. You know, at the end of the day, you know, as a performance coach, I'm helping people, you know, manage basically four aspects of their life, their their, their clarity, their capability sets, you know, what they're currently capable of, what they can become capable of, you know, helping them uh, strategize around their energy, you know, as a third piece and then just helping them strategize around their execution moments and, uh, you know, execution moments, uh, never end. And, uh, so that that would be you know just my message uh be encouraged but 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 um draw on other draw on the resources out there um in in and and strategize in order to get through it,
0: yeah, I like that that uh be be open about it, be proactive right address it head on um I think when we try to sort of do it on our own, when we try to keep it hidden, uh, it only makes it worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 you know, helps others help you and, you know, and ultimately right. you're, you're, you're helping yourself, right. You got to figure out, out. Right, this is what I need to do, you know, within reason to be comfortable and, and, uh, comfortable enough to, to, to perform and get it done. So.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ward, this was a, a really fascinating conversation. I'm, I'm so glad we were able to have it. Um, it's especially your connection between the yips and stuttering, I think rings true for so much of, of what I experienced in stuttering therapy with my clients and, and what I've seen in the stuttering research and so to, and, and actually I referenced the, the, the sports literature a lot. Um, and the idea of, of, uh, what they often call like explicit conscious control versus Im- implicit control and, and how, as you were saying earlier, our explicit, our explicit control is often worse, right that when we when we think too much about these complex motor behaviors, we perform them more poorly. and uh, your experience as a coach is sort of the uh, proof of that. Um, so this was th- this was a fascinating talk for me.
1: Yeah, Chris, absolutely. I uh, really appreciate uh, you, you and Stutter Talk having me on.
0: Um, do you have a w- w- website or anything if, if people yeah, want to uh, yeah, learn thanks.
1: more? Um, yeah, I'm on social media Twitter and Instagram at um, WJarvisCoaching. And then okay. my website is uh, wardjarvis.com. So I've got my contact information there. Um, you know, um, if, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there, if, if you are, you know, uh, 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 in emergency management and stutter and would just like just to have a conversation, you know, just a friend to friend, uh, ho- holler at me.
0: All right, Ward. Well, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks, Chris.